You're listening to Relocation, a podcast about people, places and ideas and how location connects the three. My name's Evan Wallace. Thanks for listening. On this edition of Relocation, we take a closer look at Bogota, Colombia. Before, it wasn't a protest unless you had a stick of dynamite and you were blowing something up. Like, that was just a given. Like, every protest, they had to blow something up or no one was really paying attention to it. That's Chris Davis, the guest for this edition of Relocation. Chris is an educator, musician, podcaster, and an excellent storyteller. He's been in Bogota for the last 10 years, and he's really seen the city transform. In chatting with Chris, it was a fascinating experience learning about a city that I wasn't altogether familiar with. As a quick snapshot, Bogota, with an urban area greater than 10 million people, is the third largest city in South America. For decades, the city and country was mired in conflict between the government and the military group FARC. While Chris has been in Bogota, the country has changed significantly, with violence steeply decreasing and a peace deal and ceasefire being signed in 2017. Chris talked me through some of these changes, how the city has urbanised, and where to find Bogota's best empanada. We'll pick up the conversation as Chris reflects on some of his earliest experiences in Bogota, a city that was far too used to violence and conflict. When I first moved to the city, I lived next to a blockbuster, and the blockbuster was not paying their vacuna. So the vacuna is the uh, vaccination that you paid to the FARC, or to whatever organized crime was working at the time. And just meant that, I mean, uh, uh, it comes from the rural area. So the vacuna was, if you don't pay this vacuna, we're gonna come kill all your cows and your family. Um, so if you're paying the vacuna, then your cows are gonna be okay. Um, so Blockbuster was not paying the vacuna and they were blowing up that one bomb went off at a different Blockbuster. And then one night as I'm watching Israel, uh, this is like 2008, I'm watching Israel bomb the Palestinians on the TV, having dinner, and I'm just thinking, oh my God, those poor people. And right in that, swear to God, in that same moment of that thought, uh, my neck tenses up from some weird pressure. And the next thing I knew, all my all my windows blew out. Oh my like goodness. A, a, bomb, a bomb went off. And so I like went into kind of like some weird robotic program, but I was like, I just fell to the floor because I thought there was going to be more bombs. And then... Um, and then I'm like, okay, well, there's not more bombs. I should probably get out of this apartment building because I'm like sixth floor and this is an older building and, you know, maybe it's going to fall down or something. And so this is even more surreal. I, I'm going to torture you through this story. <laughs> so I, I, I walk out and my neighbor is on the phone in her bathrobe screaming on her cell phone. And she's basically screaming, mom, I'm never going to get married. so the sheer sheer normality of it all i take a few more steps yeah and and this guy's like we both look at each other we look at the elevator and we say hey let's take the stairs Mm -hmm. so we take the stairs down and we go to the front door you know glass is everywhere the building's blown out like all the glass of all the buildings Mm -hmm. um and this guy walks up and he's like oh that's it it was just a little one and he walks off (laughs) And then another girl, another woman walks out of the building, looks at me. She's like, ah, tango hambre. Like, I'm hungry. And she storms off towards the restaurant district, the Zonote. So, like, this is, like, the surrounding of, like, what people were living with, but also, like, how they dealt with it. So I went back to my apartment, went back to my apartment, actually finished dinner. I mean, I'm probably completely in shock at the time. And then scrape the, you know, brush all the glass off my bed and go to sleep. Next morning, I get up and I, I go to work, you know fresh air because the windows are all blown out 
I go to work and everyone's like, what are you doing here? Like, didn't your, didn't your apartment blow up? Uh, somebody had texted me that night, like as a joke. This is like 10 minutes after it happened from the coast, like saying, I heard I missed you, you capitalist pig. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I go through the school day, finish teaching, come home. And it's like it, it had never happened. They had cleaned up all the glass. Um, the windows were all back on. My apartment had been cleaned. Like some sort of rescue force from the government reacted immediately. Like within an hour of the bombing, there were politicians on site giving interviews. By the next morning, uh, try, you know, they had scraped up most of the of the debris, and by the next afternoon, um, it was almost like you couldn't find evidence of a bombing even happened. That's incredible. So the, yeah, so it's kind of like gives you an insight into kind of the the crisis mode in people's mentality of like. We can't let them win. We're just going to clean up this as fast as we can and get everything moving back to normal. So you can see how a coronavirus for Colombians that live through all of that stuff. And I, you know what I have is very minor compared to what most Colombian families can tell. Um, it, this is very minor for them. You know that they can they can deal with this. It's not it's not a huge like psychological affair compared to like how it is in the states and you know people are like you can't make me stay home i'm gonna you know go out and protest whatever so you know that that kind of thing doesn't happen anymore but but it did and so it's still very much in people's collective consciousness that every story every family has a story to tell here and some of them are, are quite gruesome um it's almost like talking to you know polish people about world war ii everyone everyone can tell the story so i, I feel that same thing here um, now we're seeing a generation of kids that the conflict is sort of an abstraction. You know, now it's, it's becoming like a story that we tell. Yeah, it's something but, that's more more in the background. And just in yeah. terms of and so picking that up in terms of Bogota, so um, it sounds like one of the the most phenomenal changes that's occurred is um, violence being addressed and it being so much more more of a safer city compared to when you were first there. That's a that's a huge change, and that must have a a really really key impact on people's psyche. Going from a place where you the way that you described it just then, where violence was routine, it was very much accepted as part of city life, and now it, it, it's so much more in, in hand, uh, and that if it did occur, it would be a, a very very rare event. Well, yeah, I mean, imagine the compromises that people have had to struggle with. And I'm not speaking for myself here. I mean, I've lived here during some of the last days of these times, but um, I definitely don't have these catastrophic, you know, stories to tell of your relative being kidnapped or whoever else. Like everyone can tell that story. Um, but imagine what they've had a compromise of like, we're going to move on past this thing. And we're going to like, you know, you may have neighbors who were, who were your enemies, who may have like killed your brother, but now you have to live with that and move on. And so, you know, that is like a, a huge thing. And if you look at like the cycles of violence, just in the way students protest or workers protest before it wasn't a protest unless you had a stick of dynamite and you were blowing something up like that was just a given like every protest they had to blow something up or no one was really paying attention to it now protests are massively organized you know i'm thinking of like one of the last big ones happened here in bogota it was like a carnival I mean, like, like top musicians were, had, you know, floats that they were performing on top of and dancers in the streets. And it becomes much more of like a theatrical thing. 
you know, people are, are dressing up in all these different characters for, for the protest. And so they're getting, you know, their expression is coming, definitely coming out in, in, in very different ways. There's a really just breathtaking memorial that was constructed. I went, I went a couple of months ago to visit this. I think it was last year that it was inaugurated. But this memorial is basically when the peace process went through, um, all of the paramilitaries and the guerrilla, um, they had to turn in their weapons. So they had thousands and thousands of these machine guns. And they took them all and they took them to a melting factory and they took all the metal and they melted it down into these metal sheets. And then they invited women who had been violated and abused during the conflict by either side to come pound the metal with hammers into all these different forms and shapes. And so when you enter the memorial, uh, every tile of this metal you're walking on is a melted compiled guns that have been melted down and pounded out. And then as part of the exhibit, you watch interviews of all of these women just talking about their ideas of, you know, being a part of this kind of uh, metaphoric healing process or whatever. They interview some of the, some of the military people they interview. It's just amazing because it's all about just like having to move on, having to live together, having to, you know, how important it is that we remember all of these things, but also how we, you know, move on and live together or whatever. So, I mean, yeah, to say that this country is going through a period of you know, healing and growth is, is just an understatement. Like there's, there's so much process going on. Um, but the fact that they're even um, trying to kind of look at the history and tell the narratives, this is a huge step. Because before, uh, writing about history, especially about current political events, no one was writing about it. No one was telling the stories. These were like almost untouchable things and nobody really wanted to talk about any of it. I mean, definitely wanted like Colombians are amazing partiers and amazing, like, let's just squeeze this moment for all the life that it's worth. Um, but, you know, now is a very different thing because they have to like create that whole, you know, mythology of, of what went down over the last 50 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's a very simplistic uh, recounting of that, by the way, but it does give you a kind of just a, a hint of what's going on. You're listening to Relocation, a podcast about people, places, and ideas and how location connects the three. On this week's show, you're listening to an interview with Chris Davis in Bogota. Chris has been talking about how Bogota has transformed with violence being addressed in the city and the country. We spend the rest of the interview looking at how the city has grown, urbanized, and some of the culinary delights of Bogota. painted a picture of a city that is yeah that's um where, where traffic is is a huge huge challenge where it's a place that isn't necessarily always super super noise noise friendly and not necessarily easy to access one part of the city uh, to get from one part of the city to another but I'm also aware too in Bogota there's been some fairly incredible changes in respect to urbanization over the last 10 years and that would be the period of time since since you've been there and just recently I was reading about uh, yeah the role of increased bike lanes and bike paths um, that are being put in place in Bogota as uh, resulting from um, different challenges that have come from COVID-19 and I was just wondering if you could tell me a little bit about that transformation as well. Oh yeah yeah so Evan the 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 big thing I mean a lot of that happened before I arrived here so it was probably happening like 
you know, the decade leading up to the time that I came to Bogota. But one figure who gets to speak about this a lot is Peñalosa. So unfortunately, Peñalosa had had a second term where he wasn't very successful. But in his first term, he was able to push through programs. Most Some of them had already started, but some of them he initiated. And they included things like um, getting the cars off the, from parking, on, stopping the cars from parking just wherever they wanted to. So before, cars would just pull up to any store, anywhere, double park, triple park, and the city was just a chaotic mess. Like you couldn't really walk the city. And so what he did was start um, making these giant walking through fairs. And like now, wherever you go, you can usually find a place to walk. There's very few streets that I can find where you can't like separate yourself from traffic. So that was one, is making the city pedestrian, like making it a walkable city. Uh, and then the second one he did was bring in the public transport. So I think they had studied what was going on in the south of Brazil, what was going on in Uruguay, and they were studying some of their busing systems and they just built a massive, massive transmillennial system. And so what that enables people to do is to get from, it's not so comprehensive, but it definitely connects the north to the south of the city. And it's just jam-packed. Like It's like looking at a Tokyo subway. That's how crowded it is. And to ride it these days is actually pretty hectic. I, you know, I've, I've taken it during you know rush hours and you line up because you think you're going to get into the door and the door opens and all of a sudden people just running from all sides. <laughs> wow. it's, kind of a pick, it's kind of a pickpocketing nightmare, but it does work. And yeah. this is how a lot of people are getting from point A to point B. So that, that really connected the city uh, and it, it has really sped up a lot of the transportation. I mean, there are hours where you try to take a car somewhere, it's going to take you an hour and a half. If you can jump in the Transmillennium, you'll be there in 20, 20 30 minutes. So it's, it, you know, that's another big help. So the third part of that was to bring in bikes. And he started opening up bike lanes, uh, these ciclovias and ciclorutas. And you know, maybe you've seen on the news, on every Sunday, uh, they block off these main veins all over the city, and they become bike lanes. So from se- 7 in the morning, from 7 in the morning to about 2 in the afternoon, you can bike all over the city and thousands of people are using this all the time. Um, that sounds pretty good that, to me. That sounds, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, if you're like a serious, serious biker, it's definitely not for you because there's so many people on it, but it's a trip. Like you get on that thing and you can ride for hours looping all over the city, uh, you know, stop for a coffee here, stop for a beer there and just get on your bike, keep going. So that's been expanded. I would say in the last five years, it's just been incredible. Like the amount of bike lanes, even in the last say 16 months, uh, there have been all these bike lanes opening around where I live. So I can jump out of my apartment now. And since I've been on sabbatical, I actually do 99% of my transportation is all on bike. Um, I can bike all over the city. Um, and so that's a, another big help. And then during the COVID thing, this has made a lot of national news too, is that they've opened up these major through fairs um, where the Ciclovia is basically going all the time now. There are bikers you can bike anywhere in the city and have your own lane uh and so that that's a pretty cool thing and there's been other programs uh, that claudia lopez is the mayor she's done just amazing work during the the lockdown uh, to bring workers in they have funded for companies to buy bikes or loan bikes that all the workers get a free bike to use to get from point a to point b so that you know to cut down all the congestion in the transmillennia and the public transport uh, there's all of this kind of free biking system that's popped up as well. So there's a major bike movement. There's a major green movement going on here in Bogota. Uh, and now it has a lot of political backing. 
And so hopefully what we'll see as things open back up is that they'll keep these these bike lanes. And believe me, it is a mess here. Like there's there's a mafia of taxis, there's a mafia of buses that are not part of the Transmillennium system. And they want nothing to do with all this like bike lane stuff. Like you'll get in a cab and if, if the guy is owning his cab, he's just going to like give you a political speech about why this is just a terrible thing. Whatever. <laughs> um, I personally had a cab driver. Uh, this is my fault. I was like weaving through uh, traffic, which you're not supposed to do, but uh, I was trying to get through this place part that did not have bike lanes. Um, and a cab driver, I made eye contact with him and I went in front of his cab and he proceeded to run over my bike. <laughs> so, so I like literally jumped off the bike and he proceeded to run over one of the tires and just totally like mauled it all up. Um, and since then, there is now a bike lane in that exact spot where that happened. There's this beautiful wide bike lane that goes right by there. So you're, you're seeing all this stuff happening. Like, you know, every month there's something new happening with how you can bike the city. I, I don't think it's quite enough yet. I mean, there are zones in the north like if you go up around an area called the Zona T and Parque 93, there are bike lanes running up to the north that are amazing. And they're very trafficked. Like people are really using them. There's a bike bridge. I mean, there's all this new stuff happening. Um, but there's still a lot that needs to be done because I, I believe that a lot of workers would bike. I mean, it's actually way cheaper. If you biked in from the Barrios down south, um, it's a much cheaper affair than taking public transportation you know, even with the cost of the bike and everything. Um, but it's not, you know, people are doing it, but it's completely ad hoc. And you still have like a lot of biking still has to happen with cars. So I still am riding in, in car traffic um, about 30 to 40% of the time. Mm. But it sounds as though it's been a, a really dynamic place to be over those those nine years and, and seeing those changes unfold that's pretty exciting to be in cities where there is that investment in trying to make the city being more livable and i'm sure that's only been a been a really really big positive i have two more two more questions um before we uh, wrap up the interview the first one's a bit of a fun one and uh, it might be my um tummy speaking um but uh, i know that um i know that bogota is, is famous for its empanadas and i'm just wondering whether it's something whether you You've fallen in love with uh, empanadas since being in in Bogota. That's a hard one to ask. Okay, so street food. Yeah, the street food is definitely here, and mm -hmm. it's definitely a big thing. And it seems to be getting better. And there are definitely street food points where I can say there's that's an excellent empanada. And there's all these like hybrids of the empanada. There's one that's actually from Barranquilla, and that's why I'm cringing just a little bit because Barranquilla has amazing street food like the street food scene there is just it's absurd okay. it's all over the place and they have all the toppings and sauces and it's always cooked like right there fresh Yum. so Bogota is a, a little bit of let down from that but the coast has one called a carimaniola and so what that is is a yuca it's a stuffed yuca empanada and it's either stuffed with meat or cheese and then you top it with hot sauces and stuff so you can definitely find those here as well so I'd say if you know where to go in Bogota, there is incredible street food. The average street food, eh, I'd be really careful. Um, I mean, you, it's not going to be bad, but you're not going to like get the real thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. Down in the Candelaria, I think it's still open. There used to be a place called Arepa Cuadrada. So it's the Arepa is sort of a cousin of the empanada. Mm -hmm. um, and Arepa in Colombia can mean like 15 different things. Okay. So there's like, like Valle de Calca has an Arepa where they... Um, take this cornmeal and they slice it and then they just 
stuff it with all kinds of pork and meats and like whatever quail <laughs> eggs i mean all kind of stuff um so yeah that that's one variation of the arepa then there's like a cheese arepa there's the arepa boyacense which is another region outside of bogota so arepa is a really interesting thing to investigate in colombia just because every region calls something else some kind of arepa uh, so you can definitely find that stuff here as well uh, other curiosities for food here um I mean, there's definitely the the hormigas colonas, which is like the the big ass ants. So from the Bucaramanga area, they smoke these big ants and then you eat them like popcorn. And so you're eating ants, but it tastes kind of like very barbecuey and crunchy. Oh, delicious. Um, Absolutely delicious. It, it's actually really good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and the, yeah, there's other, I'm trying to think what other, other curiosities there are, because Colombia does have some funny things like the, the caldo, which is like, has a, has a rooster claw in the caldo. It's not my favorite thing to eat, but like you, you can find that here as well. Um, but yeah, you can definitely find, I mean, I'm just thinking like just around my house during the daytime, there's, there's plenty of great Arepa places to go investigate and stuff. Ah, wonderful. And my last question is, after nine, almost 10 years, your time in Bogota is fast coming to an end. Before we started today, you told me that uh, the next destination is, is Sudan. How are, you feeling about <laughs> How are you feeling about leaving Bogota? How are you feeling about heading to, heading to Africa? How's, um, how's the general mood? How's the, how, how, yeah, how, how are you feeling about it all? Well, I mean, we made that decision right before the COVID outbreak. I mean, literally like within the same month, you know, made this decision where my partner are going to go live in Sudan for a couple of years. We've got a great job offer, beautiful school there. Um, we kind of investigated what the political situation is. We know they've had a revolution in the last year, but we're also just, the more we read about the place, the more we become fascinated by this idea. Um, in many ways, the imagery of Khartoum is reminiscent i'm not going to say the same but it's reminiscent of barranquilla that it seems incredibly rich with music um you know their musical styles that i've been kind of collecting over the last month are it reminds me of my feeling when i first came to barranquilla where i just felt like there was this endless bottomless pit of folkloric music to explore and i still i still feel that way about the atlantic coast i feel like you could spend a lifetime just investigating all the nuances of the musical traditions. So in that way, we're super excited. Um, definitely Colombia is kind of home. My partner is Colombian. She's from Barranquilla. Uh, and so, you know, we'll definitely be back here and who knows like whether we'll move back here in the future where we haven't thought that far through for now, it's going to be a two year contract to work in Sudan. And, and we're definitely excited about that. You know, studying a new language, Spanish is sort of second nature. Um, so Arabic is definitely, uh, you know, this is a mountainous feat. I'm not sure that I can do it, but I've spent the last you know, six weeks or so learning the script and getting basic vocabulary down and stuff. So we're going to do our best to, to deal with the language as well. So we'll see how it goes. But yeah, um, I also think like, uh, I've been in Colombia for a very long time. When I came here, I came here on a two year contract. I never intended on spending a <laughs> third, third of my life here. Uh, I'm, but I'm totally happy that I did. And, you know, as far as anyone who's thinking about visiting this place or the potential of working here, I would definitely, uh, you know, wholeheartedly recommend it. I would also really recommend to get out of Bogota. Like I think Bogota is an amazing, vibrant city, but it would be really important to get to know the other regions. You know, the Atlantic coast is just a, a treasure of uh, cultural 
um, events going on. Um, I don't. I know all the regions of Colombia except I've never been to the Pacific Coast. And there's some area around like Punta Mayo around those areas. I, I've never visited there as well. But this is a, this is definitely a country to to try and road trip and get to know all the different areas as well. Chris, it's been a real pleasure chatting. Thank you so much for putting the spotlight on Bogota. I've loved how you've been able to bring the city to life and uh, connect the dots between music, history, culture, um, and it's been it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, Evan, I think this podcast you're putting together, that sounds really interesting. I love the idea of kind of taking cities around the world and getting people to tell the stories around those spaces. Uh, that's that's just excellent. So good luck with the rest of your project. And who knows, maybe we'll connect again in the future. Oh, I would love that. That sounds, that sounds fantastic. Looking forward to it, Chris. And, and thanks again. All right. Take care. You've been listening to Relocation a podcast about people, places, and ideas, and how location connects to three. On this week's show, I chatted with Chris Davis in Bogota, and I'll see you somewhere in the world next time.